Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. You can listen to all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Enjoy. Welcome to the IEA's uh, podcast. I'm Len Shackleton. I'm Editorial and Research Fellow at the Institute of Economic Affairs. And today I'm going to be discussing the energy price cap with Stephen Littlechild, who is former Director General of Electricity Supply, uh, now an academic and commentator, uh, the man who I think uh, invented much of our current competition policy and uh, the, the idea of a price cap. Stephen, welcome. Thanks very much, Len. I look forward to this. Good. Well, what we're going to talk about today is the, uh, the effect of the energy price cap uh, and its impact in, in, in the current uh, problems of the UK energy market. Uh, I think you, you described this recently, I read, as uh, this policy is a bull in a china shop, um, which is fairly dramatic. You've been very critical of the price cap policy and its role in the energy crisis. Can, can you explain to us the origins of the current cap and why you think it was a mistaken policy? Uh, thanks. Well, uh, we've had uh, competition uh, for retail electricity and, and gas since about 1998. Uh, that was when, as regulator, I opened up the market. Uh, and competition, in my view, has worked pretty effectively. And so to suddenly have a price cap imposed on us uh, was a great shock to me uh, and I think to, to the industry generally. I think the origins, uh, the immediate origins, lie in the CMA report in 2016 uh, and, and two particular elements of that. First, they found that customers didn't seem to be choosing lower price tariffs when they were available and they couldn't understand why customers were doing this and they thought customers might need some protection. And secondly, they calculated that the cost of this uh, was of the order of 1.7 to 2 billion pounds a year, uh, which was obviously an enormous amount. Uh, and this, I think, led uh, many commentators and political parties to say, well, the answer must be a price cap. So we can go into the details of that, but that I think is the basic origin of the, of the price cap. Okay, the, the Competition Markets Authority then made a, a lot of play really of consumer inertia. This idea that the, the, uh, uh, there wasn't enough switching between suppliers, despite the fact there were quite considerable price differentials. Um, I think you, you know, I know you think the regulator was wrong to be so concerned about this, but as a matter of interest, how do you account for this inertia? Why is it that people didn't take advantage or didn't take advantage in sufficient numbers, apparently, um, of this price differential? Well, I think the CMA couldn't understand why they didn't shift uh, to another cheaper supplier because they assumed that the products and the suppliers were the same. Electricity is electricity. Well, in fact, some of the products were quite different from others and not suitable for everybody. So for example, some products offered only online contact, that there weren't uh, customer service agents that you could telephone, or you couldn't get uh, a printed bill, you had only got, <clears throat> only got a bill online. Uh, and that didn't suit everybody. There were other products that didn't have warm home discount, for example, which some customers needed. 
So the, the products were sometimes different. Secondly, the suppliers were different. Some of them had quite good records on complaints with Ofgem, for example. Others had very poor records with complaints. And thirdly, and what's become more significant recently, is that some of these companies were well-known and established and well-financed. And people trusted them because they knew them and seen them around for years, decades even. Others were very new and untrusted uh, and people were unsure about them. So it seems to me now that customers really were quite prudent in not switching immediately to the lowest price suppliers because a lot of those low price suppliers have gone out the market. So I wouldn't say that there was um, weak customer response. I'd say prudent customer response. That's very interesting because of course the, the CMA made up some numbers, didn't they, about the, the cost of this. Um, and really, I think from a kind of Austrian point of view, which you've always uh, been an, an adherent to, uh, it's very difficult to make those kind of uh, price calculation or these cost calculations when, uh, the, as you say, the characteristics of the, of the product may well have varied uh, considerably. Now, did, was it the, the CMA who that originally suggested the price cap? Uh, no, indeed. Um, uh, indeed. The CMA suggested not having a price cap for uh, the, the general run of products. Uh, I mean, perhaps we could just spend a moment on the calculation itself, um, mm -hmm. because it, it didn't actually just make up the numbers. It had a rationale, uh, and in, but in, it didn't use the normal competition authority rationale. Instead of saying what would have been the competitive price in the market, let's look at the intersection of the demand and supply curves. They said, let's take the cheapest price on the supply curve, the, the price that the very most efficient companies could produce at, and assumed that would be the competitive price. Well, that's not what basic economic theory, A-level economics says. It's not what the um, uh, CMA and its predecessors had done in practice, and it was actually explicitly against the procedure that the CMA, the CMA guidelines laid down. So I think that although it was a systematic calculation, it was simply wrong. Uh, there was no uh, detriment of that order of magnitude. And so when politicians were quite rightly uh, fuming and saying we've got to do something, the answer is they've been misled, I'm afraid, by this calculation. So you think the price cap then was was really simply a political move? Uh, it was touted, I think, by the Labour Party originally, wasn't it? But then uh, where do we go from there? Well, uh, Ed Miliband had advocated uh, a cap uh, for 18 months, I think, two or three years earlier, before the CMA investigation. Uh, and that was quite rightly dismissed by the Conservative, by the government um, and the coalition government, I think, as not being appropriate. Um, but the problem was that when the CMA suggested this enormous detriment, it on the one hand said, well, a price cap wouldn't be appropriate to deal with this because of the various disincentive effects of a price cap. But it did at the same time suggest the price cap for a particular subset of customers, prepayment meter customers, where it claimed that there were particular reasons why the market wasn't working well. So the concept of a price cap 
was in the CMA report. It actually recommended it for some customers. And in fact, one of the members of the CMA uh, in a dissenting remark um, said that uh, he actually thought with a magnitude of detriment of getting up to two billion pounds a year, a price cap on a temporary basis would really be the only thing that would deal with that. So there was quite substantial support within the CMA report, uh, support within the CMA report for going towards a price cap. And it's not surprising to me that all the political parties, I think perhaps except the Lib Dems, all of them went for some kind of price cap. So what has been the effect? I mean, at the time, I think uh, many commentators said that it was a good idea. And uh, so what has the result been? Yes, uh, you're right. That's what people said for the first year or two. They said, um, well, the CMA was worried, uh, and Ofgem, sorry, Ofgem was worried that there'd be some sort of effect on switching because the low price, some of the low price um, offers would disappear from the market uh, and, and the prices would be squeezed <clears throat> and that would cut switching by between a third and a half. Uh, and in fact, switching didn't uh, reduce and the price differentials still available in the market were just as big, if not slightly bigger, you know, of the order of 100 pounds, 200 pounds in some cases, or sometimes more. And so people said, well, look, we've got the benefits of a price cap, which assures us that uh, customers are not being exploited and we've got competition. So what's not to like? Well, it became clear I think after a couple of years that the reason for this was a quite exceptional set of circumstances in the wholesale market where the wholesale prices had been steadily and quite substantially decreasing over time. And since Ofgem set the price cap uh, about six months ahead, what happened was that it was calculating the price cap based on a level of wholesale cost, which subsequently went down and down and gave scope for companies to undercut it. So that explains why the uh, price differentials remain. It's even possible, in fact, that the price differentials were bigger as a, uh, as a consequence of the price cap because it may have encouraged companies to set their standard variable tariffs at the price cap, which could well have been higher than would have obtained in a market where you didn't have a price cap. But we don't know that yet. But at any rate, as you say, at the beginning, everything seemed uh, attractive and no problems. The reason uh, things changed was because in 2021, last year, uh, wholesale prices suddenly took a turn for the worst. They started going up quite severely. And what happened then, of course, was that the price cap being set in advance, failed to predict how fast the wholesale prices would be going up. And companies were in a position where they, they couldn't provide supply at the price cap, because when it came to it, they weren't able to buy at a price that was within the price cap. So essentially, uh, quite a large number of suppliers went bust. Um, do you think this was inevitable? Would they have gone bust anyway, or, or, or was this simply the result of the price cap? Well, I don't think for we know for sure as yet, but it seems to me that it's very likely that the price cap had a very significant effect here. I mean, it's true that some of the companies do not seem to have hedged in advance as much as other 
companies or other people suggest they should have done. Uh, but they couldn't predict very accurately what the prices, uh, the costs were going to be and what their, their demands were going to be. And they were extremely squeezed by the price cap because they couldn't adjust their variable tariffs in a way that they could do before. Uh, and so it seems to me if we look around at other markets in Europe, or if we look at the market for small and in, uh, industrial customers, we don't find 50 or so suppliers going out of business. That kind of thing's not happening. It's only in the UK market for residential customers where the price cap applied that we're getting this vast number of companies going out of business. So I think that a, a major, major ef effect on the market has been the price cap. Yeah, I, one of the one of the factors in this, which I, uh, Lawrence Haar drew attention to in the most recent issue of Economic Affairs, was the the, the existence of assetless uh, energy retailers. I mean, these are, are people who uh, these are companies which just buy wholesale; they don't produce electricity themselves. And, and the, these were the companies which were probably most vulnerable in this, uh, in, in the situation you've just described. Do you think assetless retailers are, are, are a good thing? Well, I think we have to have a process for exploring whether they're a good thing or not, and if, it, it, and what kind of assetless retailers. Um, for example, you might have a retailer that doesn't have any generation assets, but nonetheless has financial assets that enables it to hedge, uh, and whereas some might not have that. It seems to me that the degree of hedging and the degree of asset backing that you need is going to depend on the nature of the market and also on what customers prefer. I mean, are there a substantial number of customers that are willing to to take the risks that their supplier might go bust in order to get a lower price? Or, or do most customers not want that? And we simply don't know the answer to that until we try these things. So I think we were absolutely right to have a, a, a situation, a market where people could come in and try different things. And one of the tragedies of the price cap is that it's prevented us from learning what how these companies would have responded and what customers wanted because Ofgem has stepped in with this very what turned out to have been an extremely and unduly severe price cap and that has led to a lot of these companies going out of business that otherwise might not have done so we don't really know uh, if you like what is the optimal extent of asset backing that would be appropriate and, and probably it varies for different kinds of customers they'll prefer different kinds of companies so that has been with being prevented from learning as much as we might do and also we're now in a situation where Ofgem feels obliged to crack down so it's going to be determining some what I suspect will be rather arbitrary uh, constraints on the kind of backing, asset backing and hedging that companies have to go in for. And this kind of constraint may be appropriate today, but it won't necessarily be appropriate tomorrow, but it ain't going to get changed very quickly. Whether Ofgem and how it will enforce it is all a little bit unclear. So I think we've got a little more regulation here than we need have done had it not been for the price cap. Mm. Uh, one of the things uh, which uh, I've been interested in in this is this uh, discussion of loyalty penalties in the energy market. 
Could you explain to us what those are and, and, and whether you think they're a good thing or a bad thing? Well, this is one of the things that the CMA uh, was concerned about, though it didn't emphasize that too much in this report. And that is the notion that some suppliers were offering a standard price to most of their customers, but from time to time, they'd offer much lower prices to attract new customers. And some critics said, well, this is, uh, they're being disloyal to their loyal customers. Uh, they're, they're penalizing or exploiting their loyal customers and they ought not to do it. Now, uh, some suppliers, new, newer suppliers in the UK picked up this theme and said, we are going to offer a product that's either one single product for all our customers or else several different products, a fixed price and a variable price tariff, but they're going to be very similar in prices because we believe we should treat all customers the same. Now, I think that's a very good idea. Uh, I wanted to see that tested and to see how many customers uh, were interested uh, by that and, and found it appealing. And my calculation is that it was something of the order of 12 and a half to 15%. So there was a, you know, in other words, maybe up to an eighth of customers were attracted by this. But by the same token, about seven eighths of customers were not. They were either customers that wanted the lowest available price and they didn't care if their supplier was offering them a lower price and a higher price to other customers, or they were customers that were paying the higher price and were satisfied with that and didn't care that their supplier was offering a lower price to other customers. So my impression is that although this is a very worthwhile project, uh, it didn't, and it met a certain need, it wasn't one that customers generally uh, thought was important. Uh, what happened, however, is that it was argued that all customers ought to pay the same, in a sense, pay the same price from any given supplier which is tantamount to imposing on all companies, all suppliers, a, a particular policy, commercial policy adopted by some of them. So it tends to favor some customers rather than others. My concern is that um, customers as a whole are going to be worse off here because what you'll find is that the suppliers will find it more and more difficult and uneconomic to offer a lower price to some customers because if they have to offer it to all their customers, they won't be able to, so they won't offer it. So prices as a whole will be higher than they otherwise would have been. And I think this is what the CMA itself found when it looked at Ofgem's previous policy, where Ofgem had a non-discrimination condition that was something along the similar lines. And it found that that had had an adverse effect on prices, hence on customers, and asked Ofgem to confirm that it was no longer applying that policy. So my impression is that the evidence we have from previous experience confirms that this kind of policy, trying to stop loyalty, so-called loyalty penalties, is gonna have an adverse effect on customers generally. This is fascinating stuff, Stephen, and very interesting to know about the different dimensions of competition in energy markets and the difficulties which face our regulators. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. Um, thank you, Stephen, very much for, for this fascinating discussion. 
And please remember, if you're listening to this, to subscribe to the IEA podcast.